0: Hey everybody, it's Chris. Welcome or welcome back to the Beyond Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this conversation, would you head to our socials at Beyond Church AU, either on Instagram or Facebook and give us a follow. That's the easiest way to share this content with a friend who might find it helpful. And while you're at it, you can click the link in our description to sign up to our email newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to date on everything that's going on around here at Beyond. But in the meantime, I hope. This following conversation inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Ah, friends. How good is friends? For those of you who are like, what is going on? You just just need to do yourself a favor and go home and just get on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix still, right? Maybe? Yeah, it is, I'm getting nods, yeah. And just just watch Friends, just binge it. Um, And we are in the middle. The reason why we're doing that is because we're in the middle of this series called um, Find My Friends. And we actually kickstarted the series last week um, and in fact, if you want to um, catch up on what we spoke about last week, get yourself up to speed or refresh, you can scan the QR code there and uh, that'll take you to Spotify um, and you'll be able to listen to part one. Um, you'll be able to share part one with a friend. You'll Also this week's message or this conversation will be up as well later in the week in case you wanted to go back and revisit it or in case you thought this might be helpful um, for someone as well. But last week we sort of started looking um, at this idea of loneliness because the subtitle for this series, uh, series is Being Known in a Lonely World. And uh, we looked at some of the research and some of the science around loneliness, particularly in Australia. Um, and there was, there was some things we compared. We looked at um, obesity, excessive drinking, air pollution, and loneliness. And what we discovered is the research says that loneliness is the number one leading cause towards an early death out of all four of those things. Obesity, air pollution, um, excessive drinking, loneliness tops the list. And so we looked at um, some more of the wider research as well. And really, the thing we sort of concluded last week was just that um, there will always be something missing from your life if community is missing from your life. This idea that we weren't designed to, to live alone, we weren't designed to live in isolation, we were actually designed to be connected relationally with other people. In fact, neuroscientists who are these just that—that that, doesn't that name sound super smart? Like I just wish I was. Anyway, but these neuroscientists who study the neural pathways in our brain, what they've discovered and what they're learning, is that the same neural pathway that lights up the brain for pain is the same neural pathway, <coughs> excuse me, that lights up when we're lonely. And really, that what that describes is like when we're when we're in pain uh, or when we're lonely, where it's the brain is pretty much telling us, "Hey, well, you're in pain. the, the you weren't designed uh, to live." this way. And so where we kind of finished last week is I challenged you or I asked you to sort of do a friendship audit. And if you weren't here last week, um, I just sort of gave two questions. You can ask these questions now. If you forgot them, you can ask them um, and you can think about them. And the two questions were this. When it comes to your friendships, where are you now and what's holding you back from what you were created for? Where are you now in terms of your relationships? Would you look at your friendships and relationships and say, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy? Or would you maybe look at it and say, you know what, There there are some gaps there are some areas, there are some, some particular friendships I'd, I'd maybe like to get to know people a little bit more on. Maybe would you say um, that there are some, um, maybe some friendships, there are some conversations you need to have, some particular conversations you've been kind of like afraid to have or leaving off the table. Like where, where are you at now? And then the second one was what is holding you back from what you were created for? You know, is it maybe that you just don't have enough time? to catch up with the people you want to catch up with? Is it maybe that you're afraid of, of going first? You're kind of like, oh, well, well I don't know if I, if, I, if, I, if I try to catch up with them, if I want to spend a little bit more time, whether they'll be open to that. Is it maybe something in your past or maybe the way that you were raised or is it uh, perhaps what's been modeled to you that you're, you're not quite sure and maybe you do not necessarily seen the skills or seen relationships modeled well. So maybe, maybe that's um, holding you back. And so that was sort of where we, we went th- last week. You can take those questions, you can think through them yourself if you haven't got a chance to um, this week. But where, where I wanted to go and move forward um, into our conversation today is, there's um, an author we spoke about last week, her name was Jenny Allen, and she's written a book called Find Your People. If you're a reader, um, you can just Google or get on Amazon and get Find Your People by Jenny Allen. She's kind of given a lot of the thoughts and kind of insight into this series. And if you're not um, a book person, I found out, because um, I'm a book person. I found out Jenny Allen also has a podcast um, and where she, t- yeah, Emily told me last week. So where she talks about some of this stuff. So if you're more of a podcast person, um, you can jump into that. But Jenny Allen in, the, in her book, Find My Friends, um, she kind of talks about, and we're going to explore today, one of, the, one of the things that we can miss when it comes to community, when it comes to developing friendships and and this is an oversimplification but she says for most of us when it comes to relationships when it comes to friendships we sort of have three main groups of people we have our acquaintances right these are the people that that you know them and they know you but you're not super close you know for some of you this might be like a doctor or a dentist you're like you know each other but you're not gonna like hang out maybe um it's people that maybe you you used to work with them and now you don't, and you weren't super close when you worked with them, but you knew each other. And now if you saw each other out, you kind of wave, you kind of say hi, but you're not like checking up on them. You're not texting them regularly. You're not calling them um, regularly. These might be people that maybe you went to high school with, or maybe you went to school with or uni with. And now you've just kind of like, there's, there's no animosity. There's nothing happened, but you've just sort of drifted apart. And they're people you know, but they're not necessarily people that you're super close with. And then we have our close friends typically most people have like one to six close friends. And and when I say close friends, um, what I mean by this is these are the people who are, you know, when you're out and maybe you're having having dinner or maybe it's just a couple of you and someone either at the table that you're at having dinner or someone behind you says something and you look up and you make eye contact with them and they've already made eye contact with you and you know and they know exactly what you're thinking about without a word being spoken at all. Okay, there's just like this level of closeness with them. They're the kind of people that like it doesn't matter what your house looks like when they come around cuz you're just glad that they're there, right? You know they're not like judging you. They're the kind of people where it's just like, "You know what? Um this is what I'm wearing today and you just got to deal with it." And they're like, "Great. Awesome. I just want to hang out with you." These are the sorts of people that they ju- they just know who you are. And what Jenny Allen talks about is there's often that there's kind of two challenges that we can face when it comes to sort of building our friendships because often we miss this thing, which is the village and the village she describes is this Interconnected group of people that don't often know each other But we do life with them on a week-to-week basis. So some examples of people in your village They might be maybe the PT that you have at the gym They might be some of the people maybe that you kind of connect with in your group class if you train together in a class if you're a parent They might be some of the people that are at your kids' sporting games or the parents that you get to know while you're waiting to pick the kids up from school. Maybe if you're into um, music, they might be some of the people that are in the band that you're with. They might be people you spend time with. If you're in a connect group, they might be people that are are part of your connect group as well because maybe you're not close friends with all the people in your group. And so there's this sort of um, kind of interconnected web of people that kind of are our village. But the challenge, and she sort of says, the two challenges become for those of us who have close friends, but we feel lonely at points of time. One of the reasons can be is that we have close friends, but as we've grown up and as we've moved on with our lives, our close friends actually don't live near us. Some of you, maybe your best friends live hours away. Some of you, your best friends probably live in different countries. And so we have these close friends, but but we don't really get to see them a whole lot. We don't get to spend time with them a lot. And we actually haven't developed a village around us. And we wonder, hey, why, why do I feel lonely? Why is, there, why is um, this, this friendship that I'm looking for perhaps not there? And then for those of us who maybe, maybe you have one close friend, but you want to you wanna have some more. Often what we try and do is we jump from acquaintances to close friends. And we miss this step in between. We try and take people who are kind of on the peripheral of our life and then we try and like work through and we're like, I'm going to make this person my close friend or I want to get some close friends. And so we have this as the end goal <clears throat> without realizing that to get there, we have to kind of be integrated into each other's lives. We have to spend time with people in our lives. And you guys have heard and you know, know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child, right? I was, I, was nearly, I was nearly thinking, we were talking about this a little bit of actually calling this series, It Takes a Village, um, but I'm only six weeks into having a daughter. And you might think it was a parenting series and it is not a parenting series, okay? And so rather that we call it find my friends because also for adults, right? It's not just true for children. It takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to thrive in life. It doesn't just stop when you become an adult, right? In fact, if you want to thrive, you know, in your relationships, if you want to thrive in your faith, if you want to thrive in your career, if you just want to thrive as an individual, it takes a village of people around you. A, village, a group of interconnected people around you. And, and what I want us to look at for the next couple of weeks is, how do we really be cultivators of a village? Right? How do we go about our lives in such a way that we can be intentional about cultivating a village of people around us? And before we get to look at like how do we cultivate that, we, we need to really look at what are some of the barriers. right? Because obviously, if you don't have a village, there's something that's preventing that. And so I wanted to look at, and you could probably come up with a whole bunch more barriers than I have, but I just wanted to look at what I think are probably the four most prominent or predominant barriers that get in the way of us cultivating or growing this village. And the first one is um, technology, right? Because technology disrupts us. Now, hear me out. I'm not like I, I'm not like someone who's like, oh, you should go anti-technology or you should get rid of technology. Okay? I love technology, just like you. Okay, technology makes things easy. Technology makes things convenient probably similar to you, I kind of wrestle with this tension of like the necessity of technology. And then the fact that technology just kind of becomes this black hole where I just kind of like get sucked into and I just, you spend a bunch of time in it and you're like, that was not helpful or beneficial or like really added any value other than to just sort of distract me um, for a little bit. And I think it's something we need to be aware of. I mean, just even kind of culturally on a big, on a big picture level, just think about the idea of Uber Eats and Amazon, right? how good is Amazon and Uber Eats, right? You can just order exactly what you want and it's at your door the very next day, okay? Th- and Amazon, I feel like Amazon is getting better even if you don't have Prime. Like this week I ordered a book, I was like, yeah, that book came out, ordered. next day it's at my house. I'm like, this is phenomenal. Um, and it's so great. The challenge is though, is that as things become so convenient, I'm not saying don't order Uber Eats or use Amazon, still do those things, but what often happens is it disrupts the fact that, typically, we would have to go to a shop or a center where there would be people around, and we would have interactions with other human beings. We would talk to the person that we're buying the food off. And so technology just disrupts, in general, this idea of human interaction. If you're an adult, uh, this might scare you. If you're an adult, the average Australian adult touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day. It's the average Aussie. If you're a teenager, the average Aussie teenager touches their smartphone 5,000 times a day, okay? The average Aussie teenager. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. All I'm just saying is technology is disrupting, right? And then you add on top of that things like Netflix, okay? Now, again, I'm not bagging out Netflix, right? Emma and I were watching um, Netflix last night. We're in the middle of uh, Your Place or Mine, um, that, that new rom-com with like Ashton Kutcher and We Threw the Sprint. I fell asleep halfway through, so we've got to finish it today. Um, but... What can, what can happen with these great things is that often, if we're not proactive about it, our relationships in our life just becomes, oh, let's, not, let's not really bother planning to spend some time together. Let's not really bother having that conversation. It's just easy to sit on the couch. It's just easy to watch this show. And then eventually we end up living life side by side, watching television or watching shows. And technology actually disrupts us From having relationships and having interaction with the people in our household and here's a scary thing right if we're not careful the scary thing is that if we don't kind of pay attention to this we can spend more of our lives watching other people's lives through a screen you can spend more of your life watching other people live their life and watching other people have interactions than you actually do enjoying your own life so that's the first thing technology disrupts us here's the second thing it's busyness because right? busyness distracts us. You ever try to get some friends together, especially a group of friends? It's like a group of friends. It's like, hey, we should get together. Hey, we should hang out. We should get the family over for a barbecue. It's like, when are you free? April 2025, right? That's the first time I'm free, okay? Because it's like, what about that weekend? Oh, no, I can't. There's kids have a birthday party. And what about that weekend? Oh, well, it's you know, the in-law's birthday party. What about this weekend? It's my birthday, right? It's just, it just our calendars become so and so cluttered That it just seems so hard to find the time to catch up with people. And, you know, we could do a whole series on this next thing. In fact, we have in the past. Is the challenge with busyness. is Is busyness is sort of external, right? Busyness is like watching your calendar, what you got coming up, the commitments you have. But busyness can very quickly become internal. And when busyness becomes internal, it becomes hurry. And so this busyness transforms, not just our external lives, but our inner life. And we constantly feel like we're chasing something. We constantly feel like we're never up to speed on everything. We constantly feel like we're behind. We can't sit down. We can't sit still. We're just so in such a hurry that we never actually kind of feel like we can just be with people, be present, spend time with people. The idea of like a long lingering dinner. It's like, well, I'm in such a hurry. I'm so busy. I don't have the time to be able to do it. In fact, this is one of the reasons, right? When you finally get that opportunity, I think to sit down, you finally get around to having dinner with people. It's one of the first things people say, we should do this more often. And the reason is because is we're, we were designed and we were created to actually spend time with the people we care about. Yet busyness often kind of gets in the road. Here's another one. Um, individualization discourages us. It's kind of this thing now um, in culturally that um, this shift of like what is true for us as a nation as Australia is also becoming true of our personal identities. It's kind of this idea of like, you know, well, as a nation, we're free. As a nation, we have rights. But now it's kind of becoming, hey, my personal identity. I'm free. I have rights. And, and I'm my own individual. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I did it all myself. And, and I don't need any of your help. And I was, <coughs> I was on Instagram this week. And typically, I don't like when people share quotes on Instagram. I don't pay any attention to them. I'm like, next on the stories. And, uh, but one of my friends shared something this week. And it kind of made me think of this idea. And um, I'll just show you what this, per- what this quote was on Instagram. It says, I don't need anyone is a statement often made by those who at some point needed someone, but no one showed up. I don't need anyone is a statement often made by someone who, who needed someone at some point, but then they showed up. And so what happens is we become more individualized and we go, well, you know what? There's a way for me not to deal with this hurt. I'm just going to shove it off. No, I, I'm going to do it myself. And here's the challenge with individualism, right? Right individualism kind of forces us not to ask for help because we're afraid or someone will think I'm weak. Someone will think I won't have all the answers if I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to do it myself. I've got to figure it out myself. But the reality is we weren't ever created or designed for that. And then this last one, this is the last barrier. It kind of plays into this whole idea of individualism as well, but it's fear. Fear distances us, right? Because we're afraid. We're afraid, hey, wh- what happens if I, if I actually, you know, initiate or I actually sort of invite someone to hang out? And what if they say no? Or what if we get to a point and, you know, they don't like part of who I am or they're not comfortable with part of it? And so we can have this fear. And so the fear of getting into a friendship or the fear of initiating, the fear of having a conversation actually kind of distances us and pushes us away and keeps us isolated from people. Now, here's something that's just sort of interesting, is that when Jesus um, walked the earth, Jesus um, launched this movement. It's known as the church now, um, two thousand years on. The problem is, when most people hear the word church, they think building. All right, that's why, like, r- we don't really ever hear it beyond say things like "Welcome to church." Okay, hey, it's so great that you're at church, right? Because Jesus didn't launch a building right? Jesus didn't launch a location. Jesus didn't launch a, and say, hey, if you come to this building, that's the church. No, when Jesus actually launched this movement of Jesus followers, it was about people. It was about community. It was about what a group of people, the direction in which they were moving all together. And in fact, right before Jesus, is, Jesus dies, he actually gives a, a little bit of a picture of what this community of Jesus followers would be like, what, how they would interact with each other, how they would love each other. And this is, this is what he says, He says, dear children, he's talking to his disciples here. I'll be with you only a little longer, right? I got to dip soon. And as I told the the Jewish leaders or the religious leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going, right? You'll want to come, but you're not going to be able to come where I'm going. And this would have made no sense to them, right? Because they would have been like, what do you mean, Jesus? So they had a picture in their mind of what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus didn't live up to that picture. Um, And he goes, so while I'm before, uh, after I go, here's what I want you to do. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now, here's what you need to know. The disciples were already doing a pretty good job of that, right? Because around this table that Jesus was saying this to, you had the biggest mishmash of people and personalities you could probably dream up right? There was perhaps the most hated man in all of the region, Capernaum, that they were in. His name was Matthew. He's a tax collector. Nobody liked Matthew because nobody liked tax collectors. And Matthew was like the boss of the tax collectors. So nobody liked Matthew. He's the most hated guy in Capernaum. Then there was um, this guy called Peter. And Peter was the person in, in every friendship group that doesn't have a filter between his brain and his mouth, right? People just, Peter just said stuff. He said stuff that was inappropriate. He said stuff that was ridiculous. And people got along with Peter. Then there were these two brothers They were called the sons of thunder, Right, because they were hot-headed. They just they just kind of got into fights. They got into stuff, and then all the disciples had to kind of like bail them out of it. There was a guy called Simon, who was a a religious freedom fighter. Like he was like a kind of a terrorist. And all this group of people, plus the others, they'd been living together for three years. They'd been doing life together for three years. The fact they hadn't like beaten each other up was like kind of a testament to the fact that they were loving each other pretty well. But then Jesus said, "I kind of want to add a caveat." I want to add something else because it's not just enough to love each other. I want you to, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for each other will prove, will show the world that you are my disciples. Which is kind of incredible because what Jesus is saying is, hey, when people look in on this movement of Jesus followers, you know the thing that's going to tell the world whether you're following me or not? It's not going to be The building you meet in. It's not going to be how regularly you meet, how frequently you meet, the kind of lights you have, the kind of music you have, the kind of way the person at the front teaches, whether they have a snapback or not. It's not going to be any of that stuff. You know what's going to be? Love. How you love each other will show to the rest of the world, will prove to the rest of the world whether you follow me or not. That's the standard that Jesus left. And so after Jesus says these words, he goes to the cross, he's crucified, he resurrects three days later, which is crazy, I know, but that's what we believe. And, um, and then he sort of hangs around for a little bit and then he dips out to heaven. He's like, guys, I'm out. I told you I was going, you can't come with me. I'm out. And so then the Jesus movement is left in the hands of the disciples and it explodes, right? It goes off. It, it explodes through Jerusalem and out into the Mediterranean rim. And there was a, a, an historian who was part of this explosion. His name was Luke. Um, he was also one of, kind of Jesus' followers. And Luke, Luke writes one really long document that we have in our, um, uh, in, in our New Testament, but it's actually split into two. So Luke, um, the first part of the document, they've kind of cut it in half. The first part is just called Luke, um, and it's a biography of Jesus' life. And then the second document that Luke wrote is called Acts. And it sort of details the explosion of the early church and what happened um, and and how that kind of church, the church spread around the Mediterranean rim. And Luke describes for us what the Jesus movement looked like. You know, Jesus sort of says here, hey, love each other. That'll show the world that you're my disciples. And then Luke gives us a picture of here's what that actually looked like in the first century. And this this is what he says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is communion. Some of you might have heard another word for that is communion, and to prayer. Now, for a lot of Western Christians, what we do is we look at this and we go, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, full stop. Just leave it there, right? Because for most Western Christians, it's kind of like, I went to church, I heard the message, I didn't get the church, I didn't hear the message, I might watch it online or I might listen to a podcast. And that's kind of good. I'm good, right? But no, no, no. In the first century, it was so much bigger than that. And to fellowship. And this wasn't like, this is like community. This is doing life with other people. And this wasn't just doing life with Christians, okay? This was doing life with people in the entire community. It's why here at Beyond we, we are so big on doing those events for our community. Because... This was how the first century church lived. They did life with people in their community. They didn't like hide away from people. They were connected to people in the community. And then they shared meals with each other as well, and then they prayed. And then Luke kind of goes on. He keeps painting that picture. He says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I can't do any signs and wonders, okay, unfortunately. And this, some people get really caught up on this. They're like, oh, the signs and wonders. I don't know what that means. Luke doesn't tell us what it means. And it's like one sentence in the whole picture that's Luke's painting of the first century church. Because Luke continues to go on. He paints that picture. He says, this, he says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And this was voluntarily. like this, They weren't getting paid for this. This was no one's job. The first century followers just said, hey, in response to Jesus's words, we want to love people who are not like us, and we need to take what we have to love other people. Now, this is, I just want to step out of the message, sort of, and speak just to followers of Jesus, right? If you are just a follower of Jesus, here is what I would say to you. Could you imagine what our world would look like if we actually had this approach? Now, I don't mean like, you know, sell all your possessions. I just mean, could you imagine if we as followers of Jesus actually behaved like the first century church? And our thought process was, my stuff is not my stuff. My stuff is God's stuff that I am stewarding to show Jesus's love to the world. My relationships are not my relationships. They're what the relationships God has given me, and I am to show the world through those relationships what God is like. Like my time, it's actually not my time. It's time that God has given to me as a gift and I am to use that time to show to the rest of the world what the love of Jesus looks like. Could you, could you just imagine what that would be like? Yet too often in, in the Western world our, and in Western Christianity, our view is sort of like, oh, geez, serve, love people who don't like me. Oh, I'm kind of a bit busy. You don't understand what I got going on. Oh, you don't know the pressures. You don't get it. Like I've just got so much stuff going on. This is another thing to add to it. And the first century church would look at that, and the first century church would probably be like, you need to have a bit of a come to Jesus moment. But they would look at it, and they'd be like, I don't know who you're following, but you're not following Jesus, because this is what it looks like. Okay, back into the message. Luke continues on. He says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So there's this idea that there was a corporate element on a big stage, like on on a big level, like you know, um, services, community events. But then there was also this intimate level. There was this time where they met in homes. They spent time together. They sat around tables and they had these discussions. They shared communion together. And here's what's so interesting. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship, added to their community, those who were being saved. And what I love about this is it's not like, like Luke doesn't say, oh, you know what they did? They had these big rallies and they had these big services and they got people to the service and they got them to stick their hand up and say, do you want to follow Jesus? Because no, they didn't do that. They didn't be like, hey, have you prayed a specific prayer and now you're a Jesus follower? He goes, no, they didn't do that. Luke said, they enjoyed the goodwill of all people. They loved people. And you know what happened when they loved people? People were drawn in. People wanted to know, what have you got? Why are you doing that? Tell me about that. Because when people love in this kind of way, even if people don't agree with what you believe, they're drawn to that. I was having a um, conversation, not with someone who goes to our church, but it was just a church person. Um, I say that in a bad way. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like, I just say a typical church person. Because I would say the way we do things beyond is sort of not typical to most churches. So I was having this conversation with this church person a couple of months ago and I don't know why, but they'd been looking at Beyond's Instagram page. This is weird things that church people get hung up on. And they were like, Chris, I don't get it. I was like, what don't you get? They're like, you don't post enough Bible verses on the page. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and it was just like, you don't point people to Jesus enough on the page. I was like, okay, I don't understand. Like, explain it to me. Help me get it. They said, well, when I look at the page, here's what I see. I see sometimes like, you guys like shout out local businesses. Like, why would you do that? Like, sometimes you guys shout out, like, cafes and restaurants. Sometimes you guys talk about community events. Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you not tell people about Jesus and the Bible and all that? I'm like, okay, here's the thing, right? Social media is out there. Social media is like front-facing. If you've got a small family in your community that have a small business, and they wake up every morning at 4.30 a.m. or 5 a.m. and they go to their small business, and that's the way they make ends meet for their family. Or maybe they've got a cleaning company, And they drop the kids off at school and then they clean all day just to make ends meet for their family. And they don't have dreams of turning it into a big organization. Their dream is like, hey, I want to take something I love. I want to do something that I love. And I want to make a difference in people's lives. I said, what do you think is a way to love them if they'll never ever walk in the doors of our church? I said, do you think people are stoked when we just highlight them in our social media and say, hey, you should use this cleaning company, or hey, you should go to this coffee shop on your way to work, or hey, there's this community event on down the street, you should go and check it out with your family, right? Because in the world and the context in which we live, that means a big deal to people. In fact, you would not believe the messages we got during COVID when stores started opening up and we started like sharing some of the shops, the messages that we got were so grateful and so thankful that people that we, liked and we loved their little business enough to talk about it and this is not big crazy stuff this is just caring for the things that people in our community care about and then as a result people are drawn in to that people want to be a part of a community that cares about the wider community people want to be a part of a community of people who care about what's going on in their lives so this week i want to give you um three things to do three super simple things that you can do, really to, to begin to cultivate that village, to begin to cultivate the goodwill of people in your life, and maybe people who are, are kind of like maybe on the fringes or on that, in that acquaintance level. Um, they're super simple, but they're going to be challenging to do. Here's the first thing I want you to do. I just want you to make time, right? Just simply make some time. And I get it, I get it. You might look at your calendar and you might think through your friends you're like, oh, Chris, I don't have time. Okay. Here's what I would say. If you are too busy to make time for community, you're just too busy. Right? You just need to make some margin for the things that are like a life-giving in your life. So d- um, fun fact as well, Jenny Allen talks about in her book, it takes a hundred hours to move someone from an acquaintance into like the village or close friendship level. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just saying that like, One of the things that we need in our lives is we need investments into relationships. It takes time to trust people. It takes time to get to know people. You can't force that, you can't rush that over, you know, a coffee or um, just one single coffee. And I get that it's inconvenient, right? I totally get it. But sometimes things that are convenient are not the best for us, okay? I had McDonald's the last two nights for dinner because it was convenient. It is not the best thing to be eating, right? We know that convenience is not always best for us, okay? Here's the second thing, go first, All right? It's scary, I get it. But send the text, make the phone call. Maybe this week at the sporting, um, when, the, when the kids are training, when the kids are at practice, instead of sitting in the car, instead of sitting off to the side, responding to emails, maybe go up and start a conversation with the parents around you. Go first and initiate and you know, say to your friends, hey, why don't you come over for a barbecue? Hey, why don't, you know, I can't cook, but let's, why don't we order out? Why don't we go on a play-doh? Why don't we meet up at the park? Why don't we grab coffee and we'll walk down to the lake or something like that? Go first. Um, And here's the last one. Share a meal. Now this is a little bit more involved, right? And Jesus in the first century, Jesus got in so much trouble for eating with people that he shouldn't have eaten with, right? The religious church people, they just got so mad with the people that Jesus ate with. But I think one of the reasons Jesus did this is because there's just there's something that happens at a meal that you can't really replicate anywhere else. Right? There's something that happens when you share a meal together that's just kind of profound. When you eat with someone, when you have conversations, the types of conversations that are had when you sit around a table and you share a meal with people. So that's what I want you to do. Maybe over the next month or over the next six weeks, just make time, go first, and share a meal. And maybe just maybe as you begin to do that, people in your life will experience the goodwill of Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, people would be so drawn in by the way that you love them on a personal level that they might get a glimpse into who Jesus is. So don't wait this week. Reach out and uh, and begin to cultivate that village. But let's pray really quickly before we wrap up. Jesus, the busyness of life can just so quickly crowd out friendships. It can so quickly crowd out relationships. And sometimes a conversation like this can make us feel like we've just got more stuff to do and more things to do that we just don't feel like we have time for. But I pray that we'd reflect on, on what are the things in life that, that really make us satisfied? What are the things in life that actually bring us joy? And, and for a lot of the time, those things are centered around relationships. Those things are focused around people. And so this week, I'd pray that that we'd begin to make a plan to make time to go first and to share a meal with people. Not just so that we can share your love with others, but so that we all also might be refreshed and refilled to the joy of being in community that you have created us for. me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you live in the Griffin, Marumba Downs, North Lakes or Moreton Bay region, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend environments. You can find out more by heading to our website, beyondchurch.com.au. You'll find directions, service times and what you can expect as well as information on our Upstreet Kids Club, which is our primary school aged environment and Infinity Youth, our high school aged environment. That website, beyondchurch.com.au.